Before we start this episode, I'd like to acknowledge the traditional owners on the land on which we're recording this podcast, the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation, and pay my respects to their elders, both past, present, and emerging. Always was, always will be, Aboriginal land. Hey, I'm sports journalist Sam Squires. Welcome to One Her Game. In this episode, I speak with Lauren Jackson. But then there's this like little tiny thing inside of me. It's like, what, what if you keep getting better? When you're regarded as the GOAT, you probably don't need an introduction. And after the recent World Cup in Australia, we all know who Lauren Jackson is and what she means to Australian sport. At 41, Lauren came out of retirement in the comeback story of the year. Six years and two kids after an injury cruelly ended her basketball career, LJ worked her way back onto the court and into the green and gold for the biggest tournament on home soil. She wound back the clock to finish with a bronze medal and a player of the match performance we will never forget. A fairy tale ending to what has been a stellar career, both in Australia and abroad. Two-time WNBA champion, three-time WNBA MVP. She was the number one overall draft pick in the WNBA as a teenager. She's a four-time Olympian and her number was retired at the Seattle Storm. In short, she's a legend. But something that's lesser known about LJ is how the attention and pressure of the elite athlete lifestyle never sat comfortably with her. She's had to overcome many struggles as a result. It was a stint in Russia that she said changed her life. Her team was owned by a very wealthy businessman who was also a former KGB spy and was eventually assassinated, which rocked LJ and many of the players. But for this podcast, we're changing things up a little bit. We normally start at the beginning, but this time we're going to start at the end. Or is it? I started by asking LJ if her recent achievement at the World Cup has sunk in yet. Um, no, I mean, I don't think I have. You know, I remember like back in the day when I used to play and finish big tournaments, I'd go home and I'd sleep for like two weeks. Um, but I literally <laughs> came home the following morning and was mumming and I had to work on Monday and I've been thrown into just all the adult stuff. So it's a little bit different now. Um, I... Yeah, yeah. I mean, look, I've been watching um, all the social media clips and reposting them because I still don't believe that it's real. Um, it just doesn't <laughs> seem real. And what part doesn't just seem the real? Whole thing. I mean, the fact that I just played at a World Cup, it blows my mind. I honestly never mm. thought that I would be playing again at that level. And the fact that I did, and then the way that I finished, it was just like, I, like I said before, I don't believe in fairy tales, but it was kind of like a dream come true, you know? Yeah, we all thought it was a fairy tale as well. I'm getting a little bit emotional <laughs> just thinking about that last game and then watching you. And I still remember like the commentary when like you're going up for those free throws and they were just before you went off and they were like, you'll always yeah. remember, you know, Lauren Jackson's final game for Australia. Like it's just, and then the standing ovation yeah. and everything. I'm just I'm getting, getting emotional. emotional. But, um, <laughs> yeah. yeah, but thanks for taking us on that ride and being able to, to share in that um, especially because I last time you had your final game, you know, we didn't know that was your final game. So no. it was nice to be able to take that in. Um 
let's talk about that last game because that was just epic. It was like LJ of old. Oh like, can you tell us what was your head like going into that? And, you know, were you like, so 30 points, player of the match, just LJ at her absolute best. Were you like, all right, this is all or nothing. I'm just going to put everything into this or did something just magically happen? Um, look, I think... Uh, like I know what I'm capable of. I mean, even um, when we were playing NBL One East this year, like there were games where I was like, God, I'm starting to feel good. Like things are starting to flow. Like it definitely mm. has been, you know, every game I was able to do something new, something better. And because I really haven't done anything for eight years, you know. So um, I knew that I was getting to a point where my body was like allowing me to shoot turnaround jumps jumpers like take the ball to the right do things that Mm. I hadn't have been able to do three months ago um yeah there's a part of me that thinks that nobody sort of knew or thought that I could do that anymore physically and but Mm. I knew in myself like if given the opportunity I would do it and I was Mm. I'd throughout the tournament I'd been every now and then I'd throw up a turnaround jumper felt good didn't fall and, right. you know, but it felt good. And that was the main thing. Yeah. And um, yeah. the minute the first turnaround jumper f- fell, you know, in that game against Canada, I knew, I knew that um, mm. that I was on and I just went with it. And yeah. look, I think too, um, the game before we lost to China and my teammates mm. were devastated. They were shattered. Um, mm. And to get up, I know mm. what it's like to have to get up and play for a bronze medal after you've lost the opportunity to play for a gold medal. It hurts, mm. but you can't, you've got mm. to let it go. And we didn't even have 24 hours to let that sort of sink in. No. We had like 15 hours, which is ridiculous. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I knew that I was going to have to step up, um, you know, to, to help my teammates. And I knew they were going to have to as well. So <laughs> that's that's sort of what it was. That was a mindset. I was a little bit like I was pretty focused pregame. Um and yeah, just myself really, just a bit out there and come on guys, we've got to do this. And I get a little bit, you know, angry. <laughs> yeah. And they responded they as well. It was a it was an awesome way to finish. I heard you say it feels better to win the bronze than say a silver. You know, say if you didn't beat the US in the final and got silver, mm. you know, to finish with that bronze and to finish on such a winning high. Is that well, better? Look, I my philosophy in life is everything happens for a reason, good, bad, or indifferent. Like everything happens for mm. a reason. And, you know, there's always an, a new day, another day. So yeah. look, And also too, obviously I, I truly believe that winning like a gold, a bronze medal is um, it's much better than losing a gold. And not to say that we would have lost a gold mm. if we we're in that, in the gold medal game. It's just the Americans were very, very good. Everyone saw them. They won on, every mm. game by a margin of 40 points or something ridiculous like that. Mm. They were incredible. Mm. Um, but I think that if we had a got to the gold medal game, we would have given them a fair crack. Like I truly believe that. We just had yeah. the crowd behind us. Yeah. It was um, a really special tournament. Just the amount of support that we had from Australia was overwhelming. I don't think anyone expected mm. it. Um, and I guess it just goes to show how how many people are invested in the sport. But um the bronze medal was, it was so special and get, winning it the way that we did was just <laughs> awesome. And for my teammates, I'm just so proud of them and, and happy that we got to celebrate like that on the last night and, and really um, mm. embrace each other and, and the tournament. It was great. And just to be back on the podium, it was something that 
we wanted to do and we did it. Yeah, yeah. Um, saying that, one question that kept going through my mind and kept going through every person on Twitter's mind was you only played three yes, minutes in that game against, in the quarterfinal against um Oh, sorry, the semi-final against yeah. China. You only played three minutes. Could you have played more? You know, everyone was thinking you've got 30 points in this game yeah. now and it's like LJ of old. Disappointed no, in that one? Not, I, I think three? I went into the tournament, like this literally was my mindset. I might play three minutes. I might play 15 minutes. I'm mm. here to support my teammates, to support my coach and to make them better. Like I'm no longer mm. the player that I used to be and, I, and I'm not, the star of that team anymore. So mm-hmm. when I got three minutes, that's what I got. Like I can't change that <laughs> and I'm not, um, no, I'm not upset about it. I mean it wasn't my call. I can't control it mm-hmm. um, but I could control what I did the following night. So that um, that for me is it. You know, I'll support Sandy Brondello and her choices and, yeah. and like I said, mm-hmm. um, I'm not the centerpiece of that team anymore. Like that's the younger girls mm. and they're the ones that have to take responsibility for those games. Um, and I'm there mm. in a supporting role. So that's mm. that was my mindset going in. Um, mm. And there were times during the tournament as well where I was right, I was on the bench and I got subbed in. I was like, right, we're getting on top of this. Mm-hmm. We're going to change this. And I did. I feel like I did my role really well. I played it really well. Yeah. Um, and I cheered. I was an awesome cheer. I hurt my shoulder cheering. Like I cheered. <laughs> what? What? So um, you you, I did. Your shoulder. you got injured yeah, cheering. I lifted my arms up once, and I was like, "Oh my god, I think I ripped something in my shoulder." Still sore, <laughs> but I like I did my job. Oh, love it. So. You and I are the same age, so I, I get it. I totally get it. My other question um, that I was thinking just go, when you were saying that this was your last game for Australia, I was like, why? Paris is so soon afterwards. But I, I listened to your your um, post-match press conference and you said your reasons and as a mum of two yeah. as well, I really understood what you were saying. Yeah. Look, I mean, the kids, uh, my parents and my children have sacrificed so much over the last, I'm going to say two months, but really um, it's been a lot longer than that. You know, they've been mm. on this journey with me for the last 10 months just to get back for Albury, you know, and I think they loved mm. the Albury part because we were at home, we were together, we got to go home mm. to bed together, we, you know, we did it. it they weren't away mm. from me. Um, we travelled together and everything, but I think once that started getting a bit more real and I was with the Australian team, I was away mm. from them more than I've ever been and, um, that oh God, it broke my heart and it broke their heart too. Like mm. my youngest son who's just a little firecracker, he... Uh, you know, he won't leave my side now. And even dropping him at daycare today and this week, he just has been tearing mm. down the house um, when I leave and it just mm. breaks my heart because he's not like that um, and he's afraid mm. that I'm going to go again. And that's <laughs> and, and I have signed to play with the Southside Flyers um, mm. and there's going to be more, you know, time away from them in the next six mm. months. But this is it. Like I just I need them to know that they're always going to have me here for them and, um Oh, mm. Yeah, they've just been incredible. But, you know, in the same breath. You get emotional, yeah, you don't do. you? In the same breath, though, it's it's short. It's another six months. Um, mm. And then, but then there's this like little tiny thing inside of me. It's like, what, what if you keep getting better? What if? <laughs> 
at 43, you're still as good and your body's holding out. Like, what do you do? So, um, oh, there's that little oh, firecracker in you. Something in me. And the, the what if is the killer. Mm. Um, but look, I'm just going to take it day by day, like I said at the start, because my body, again, I can hardly walk. I was getting local anesthetic in my foot for the last couple of games so that I could play. Um, yep. And it's settling down now, thank God. But, um, you know, and when my body says, no, I can't do it, I can't do it anymore. So, Why the comeback? Why did you <laughs> want to do the comeback? What was the main well, reason? Well, I got, um, for me, I got my life back on track. You know, I had, I've got a great job, my beautiful kids, everything, and I, I was feeling really good about my life. Um, except for my body because, you know, obviously I put on a lot mm-hmm. of weight after I had my two kids. And um, I sort of got to a point where I was like, I'd love to be able to train. And this is what mm. sort of kicked off everything. I also had to have a hysterectomy. Um, I'd had really severe endometriosis for years and years and years and I wanted to have my wow. kids. So I sort of had to put that on hold until I had my children and I got mm. to a point where I was like, right, i you know, it's time to get rid of it so I don't have to deal with it anymore. Um, yeah. So I had that and then I made a pact that I wanted to get fit and healthy. So I started playing social basketball again and the competitive fire was still mm-hmm. there, um, but my knee blew up, mm. everything was blowing up, like I wasn't getting enough sleep, same story. Um, mm. And then I, yeah, I just basically I was having a conversation with my boss and some people from work over Zoom Um and there mm-hmm. was from yeah, basketball, Australia, basketball Australia, where you work as women head of women in basketball. Yeah. And they yep. just sort of said, you know, like, do you, like, if you want to train, like you only work three and a half days a week, you can spread that out. You can use your mm. mornings to go and train. Like we'll support you in that. Like obviously flexibility mm. has been really important for me as a single mom living in Albury. And mm. when he said that, I was like, hmm, <laughs> I'm going to take you up on that. So I did. And um, so I did and I I started training pretty much every morning. I just went to the gym. Um, I started out pretty slow and then it just evolved. You know, it got to the point where I got strong enough to get back out on the court and shoot some hoops and that 10 minutes of shooting turned into 30 minutes of shooting and, um, mm. you know, the Aubrey Bandits coach saw me shooting and was like, would you consider playing with bandits and I I was like you know this was sort of December and I was kind of like would I consider it I would Mm. if I you know but that's a long way away and anything could happen between now and then so the whole process has sort of been step by step I haven't looked too far ahead um Mm. and yeah and I think I had to do that as well for my mental health just because of the trauma Mm. that I endured at the end of my career Mm. is there is it a part of you, because I think every mum kind of feels at some stage like they miss that old self that was before kids. Like we love our life now, but there is that sense that you miss that old person before you had kids. Was there a sense of that um, as well in, in your decision and kind of rediscovering your fitness but also rediscovering a part of that old LJ? Um. In all honesty, I don't think so. I My career, I really struggled a lot of the time through my career just because I was dealing with a lot of anxiety, um, the injuries, um, you know, my 
the prescription medication battle. Like there was a lot of stuff in my career, particularly toward the end, that I just could not deal with. And mm. I think that lifestyle mm. too, living that lifestyle, I'm not, I wasn't born to be that person. Like I'm a country mm. kid, you know, I just want to be home with my family and the people that I love where I feel safe. So mm. um, not not really. I, I didn't miss it. Mm. I, I definitely miss competing, like, and being on a basketball court. Um, mm. But the lifestyle that came with that was something that I could not deal with. And um, mm. and also, too, I waited to have children till I was, you know, 36 or 37. So I'd really, um, mm. I'd lived a really full life mm. being a young person and doing all the crazy stuff that we do and traveling and everything. So mm. I was ready to sort of knuckle down and, and do the family thing. And honestly, the minute I saw, saw my first child, I was like, oh, my God, I'm fine. I'm done. This yeah. is, the, yeah. this is yeah. it. Like I, I know I'm meant to be a mum, you know, so. Yeah. How physically difficult is it to to do what you did, to get back after such a long break to an elite <sighs> performance level? Yeah, it was crazy. Um Physically. Because I'm struggling just to get down to the gym and to finish my run. So to like go back to that elite level after such a break and two kids. Um, It was hard, like, and it hurt. Um, But pain isn't, pain's never (laughs) really been like something that stopped me from doing stuff. I think I've always been able to sort of get through that type of thing. So the training Mm -hmm. itself, it was daily. Um, I was at the gym every day. I had a trainer working with me and he, he used to train me, um, back when I was playing for Australia, um, here, here in Aubrey. And he's been incredible too. He's just been such an amazing support and, um, that, you know, there have been days where I just, God, I would have rather be anywhere else than in the gym, but, I'd get through, mm. I'd get it done, you know, one foot in front of the other. And there were days where I would break down in the gym because I just didn't think I could do it anymore, you know. Mm. Um, but I don't know, something just sort of kept pushing me. I kept going back and it is about consistency, you know. It's about just staying consistent with your training. And I think the battle was my head, like it was the head game that was the hardest part um, Mm. Only because the training I've done it my whole life. Like I know what it takes mm. and I knew what I had to take to get back out on the court, whether it was for Aubrey or for whoever. Um, I couldn't mm. have played at all unless I got my legs as strong as I could possibly get them and, and that's mm. what I focused on doing and that's what I did. You were able to make a comeback with, you know, your two kids being a mum and that's really a modern day female athlete thing that we're seeing more and more women and athletes do come back after motherhood. But I know for you throughout your career that, you know, wasn't really a thing. Do you think about, you know, about your situation and how you were able to come back in comparison to like the old days, for instance, you know, you and I, your good friend, Abby Bishop, who played for the Opals and, you know, with her daughter, Zara, Zala had a really difficult time back in the day being able to get back into the Opals now as as a new mum and it was an incredibly mm. difficult time. But do you think about, you know, how times have changed and how lucky you are to be able to do this? Because I'm not too sure, you know, even who you are as the GOAT, LJ, like would have been able back in the day to do something that you did now. Um, I think the support um, that is there now due to the collective bargaining agreement and pregnancy policy is um, definitely helped 
you know, it would have been really difficult not to have my kids around and have that financial support. Um, but mm. that definitely helped. I think that the fact that the World Cup was in Sydney in Australia also helped. I mean, mm. if the World Cup was overseas, I don't think I could have done it even now. Um, mm. It's just for whatever reason, this all transpired and it wasn't, I didn't mean for it to happen, but it did. And the World Cup just happened to be here in Sydney. And it was <laughs> almost as if the stars aligned, you know. Um, being mm. a mum and trying to to be a professional athlete is so hard. And, I mean, I watched players mm. like Tina Thompson in America and Cheryl Swoops. They they had their little boys and come back, Candace Parker, um, and they they all came back after carrying babies and, and then, you know, having to take them on the road. Like Tina used to bring Dylan mm. over to Russia, you know, and when she was playing in Europe, he mm. was over with us for six months of the year. Um, mm. So I think, you know, money and resources definitely help that, but you've got to be in a situation mm. and environment um, that allows for that to happen. Whereas, you know, well, I, yeah. I think, you know, if you... And it wasn't always no, the way, still not. Like there's still teams and mm. um, all over the world that, you know, probably wouldn't even have a bar of it, you know, it's it, because mm. it's hard. It's, it's a, a lot of money and a lot of support needed to help raise a child in a team environment. Mm. Or two. Mm. <sighs> yeah. Southside are helping. But the landscape's <laughs> Yeah, good. So they should. Um, but the landscape has changed. We've seen that in a lot of sports that more female athletes feel comfortable becoming mums and making a comeback yeah. to sport. Yeah. I think like I said too, we wouldn't be able to do it without the, the financial support and money, you know. So mm. that's really yeah. what it comes down to. We had Sandy on the show. Um not long ago, and she described the experience in Tokyo as a dark period for the Opals. Uh, that was before you decided to make a comeback. What was it like for you sitting at home being, you know, having gone through the Opals with the golden era and and seeing some incredible highs and being so passionate about the Australian team and, and seeing those girls go through that dark period? Look, you know, I um, actually spoke to all of the Opals past and present um, during the World Cup and I really wanted to emphasise that all of us have been through dark periods in the Opals. Like I remember in 2010 mm. we bombed out of quarterfinals. So I've been in mm. Opals teams that have, you know, struggled as well and we all have. Um, but I think, mm. you know, it, the landscape's changed in terms of social media and um, the pressure, I think, that athletes and coaches and teams feel um, because there's so many people that have a platform and have a voice nowadays and um, mm. nothing nothing is sacred really anymore. Like, you know, mm. um, anything can be aired at any time and it's it's sort of hard. It's a, it's a very difficult environment to navigate but as a past Opal, I think watching Rio and watching Tokyo, there were t- like it was hard. You know, I remember when in Rio when they um, bombed out of finals, um, mm. I went home to my apartment and I was actually pregnant with Harry, but it was about three o'clock in the morning because I'd been commentating. And mum and I, mum had a glass of wine. And we were sitting there like with tears in our eyes for them, like just sad mm. for them, you know. Um, mm. And then Tokyo, obviously, watching that all unfold was really um, upsetting. And I don't think it was disappointment. It was more just what 
wish we could put our arms around them, you know, and support them through mm. this and not let mm. them feel like they're on an island, like they're not alone. We've all been mm. here. We've all, you know, ridden the highs and lows of vocals mm. basketball. So mm. so it's it's one of those things where I guess we we all, everyone's got an opinion, everyone's going to say what they think, mm. but at the end of the day we've all bombed out at some point, you know, um, and it's really mm. easy to forget about those moments and just focus on the great stuff, but it's not always mm. rosy, you know. You did play with Liz Cambage. You know, how did you feel about what happened in that pre-Olympics camp and the fallout afterwards? Yeah, look, I've said this before. I actually don't know what happened. Um, and, mm. I mean, I know there's been a lot of media commentary about it and everything, but I don't know what happened. Um, I do know that if Liz ever reached out to me or if she ever needed anything, I would absolutely respond. I would be there for mm. her. Um, she's been a teammate of mine. Um I know she's had some troubles. We all have. Mm. I did during my career when I was young. Mm. Um, but it's the same for every other athlete in that program. You know, there's nothing that I wouldn't do for them. And, and she's one of those people. So, you know, it was disappointing. Mm. It was sad for the Opals program because of the calibre of player she was. But I think in mm. the long run um, the Opals, you know, they're going to get stronger from that. Um, and, they, mm. you know, there's no doubt in my mind that, that group of girls are a lot closer um, and and I've said this before, they, they take a lot more care of each other off the court, like they are there for mm. each other and that's something mm. that is really unique to team sport. Um, there's just that genuine love and respect for one another mm. um, and I think that often is born out of really, really tough times. You could see that at the World Cup. There seemed to be such a great bond, such a great culture. And speaking to Sandy before the World Cup and, you know, before the camps had started, she said, like, that that's what she wanted to build. Like, she described the old Opals days as a sisterhood mm. and she wanted to build that back up in the team. Do you think you've accomplished that? Look, I think... The sisterhood is there, there's no doubt. And I think that stems back through gem- generations. I Like I truly believe after seeing what I saw at um, at the World Cup, after our Opals reunion, all the past Opals in the stands for every single game, watching, supporting, mm. even after we lost to France in the first game, you know, the support was mm. overwhelming. That sisterhood is definitely alive and thriving. Um, I think that there has to be a, a really find balance between, you know, sisterhood and holding one another accountable um, and being able mm. to bring out that or find that anger, find that something that's going to motivate you to be the best basketball player that you can be, you know, and get you mm. in the zone. And I think that's going to be the next challenge for our girls is like finding that inside of themselves and then holding one another accountable mm. and then being able to take that, you know, and mm. and respond to a teammate when they're saying to you, right, now is the time to step up, you know what I mean? Mm. So they're a beautiful bunch of girls, nice, nice, beautiful, sweet. I will, mm. you know, I'd go to war with them. Absolutely. <laughs> um, but And I think they are finding that. They're starting to find that real grit and that that's the next step, you know, in, in their story mm. is finding the grit. And they're, they're finding it. I, I really, truly believe it. Yeah. So from an outsider LJ, it looked like... Tokyo happened, the Opals were in disarray and really disappointed what happened. A couple months later, LJ decides to train. LJ decides to come back, <laughs> makes a WNBL one. 
people are talking about opals. It just seemed as though it was like correlated. And I asked Sandy, did you send LJ an SOS? And she said that it was no SOS. But the stars just aligned that way. Yeah, it was just perfect timing for me. Like I said, it was, um, I got all sort of my physical ailments sorted and I wanted to start training again. And it was just, like I said, a day-by-day process. And I think Mm. when people started to see, it was like, oh, my God, she's doing all right. She's getting stronger. She's back on court. Like it was just day by day. These things kept happening. And I mean, in May, you know, I still, I still wasn't even in the Opals program, you know, and I think it was at the end of May Mm. when the Opals came to me and said, right, if you can meet these, if you can meet these milestones, Mm. then we'll, we've got a camp at the end of June and you're invited. So I had to like Mm. jump through all of these hoops in June and, Mm. um, you know, I think I met them and then I got to the camp And I didn't expect to even go to New York after that. I thought that that was going to be mm. it. And I even said to the girls then, it's been amazing. I am so proud to be here and honoured to be here. <laughs> Don't expect I'll be going anywhere else. But I did. And, um, yeah, it was it was not easy. It was hard for sure. But they supported me yeah. and embraced me. And um, it was a real yeah. dream come true. And, and also, too, you know, being able to watch the evolution of Tess Magin as a leader and a captain on that team, has mm. been incredible because I think she is, um, God, I just can't speak highly enough of her and her leadership. Mm. And um, after seeing what she went through just to get out on the court, she's mm. a, you know, she's someone that, you know, I'll have her back forever. She's incredible. Um, let's talk about the last time you retired. You've alluded to it, but it wasn't on your terms. What state were you in when that happened and how did you come or be forced to come to that decision? Well, I, um, I'd had probably a few years of injuries from 2012, um, through to 2014. And then in 2013, I went to China to play and, um, I I got this like pain in my knee and once a year, every year I would get this pain in the back of my knee and we'd do tests, we'd investigate it. And then it would go away. No one Mm. could find out what it was. No one knew what it was. And then um, all of a sudden in China, it ripped. I felt it rip. So it was the pain was there Mm. and then I jumped and it just sort of pulled. And I was like, oh, my God, that's weird. Mm. Played the game and then after the game, like I really was struggling to walk, you know, and I thought, yeah, no, I've probably done something, but I can't tell anyone because we didn't, I don't speak their language. I didn't speak Mandarin. So it was really hard to sort of communicate Mm. that. So we had another game and I was in the jump ball and I jumped again and it ripped again. Mm. And Mm. it happened one more time after that and I couldn't walk. So, and they actually kept Mm. me out on the court and I was actually playing against Lizzie's team, Liz Cambage's team. And Mm. I'll never forget this because I was in tears and he would, the coach would not sub me off the court and I could not run. And imagine trying to guard Liz as well on one leg and you've got this Mm. like sharp pain down the back of your knee. Um, Liz was just like yelling at my coach to sub me off. And again, these are the things that people don't see, you know, no. don't see. And she's on the yeah. other team and she was just like going berserk at our coach. And, um, cause he wouldn't sub you off. Yeah, Why wouldn't he sub you off? Because he just, he knew I was hurt, but he, he just didn't want to sub me off. So it wasn't until halftime when I got called off and I was like, I'm not going out. I'm done. You know, I can't, mm. I can't walk. Anyway, got back to Australia within a a week or so, um, had surgery, and I'd actually pulled the meniscus out of the back of my bone and, like, taken a bit of bone off the back of my knee. And it was was Mm. degenerative. 
So it was mm. the sort of injury, it was going to happen. And that's why it was sort of sore every mm. now and then. It was happening for years. Um, but nobody could, MRIs didn't show it. Nothing showed it was happening. So mm. um, got it repaired. And then when I was to start sort of working out again, um, I, I was on the basketball court, shot a three, and it went again. I Like I felt it go, mm. felt it happen, was straight back in and, from that point on, I just had, because I was racing back for Canberra Capitals, for Opals, for Seattle Storm, for, you know, all of the um, clubs that I'd signed Everything. for. And I just didn't rehab my body properly. So I kept re-injuring mm. it. So after numerous operations um, and then I ended up tearing my ACL and then getting a staph infection and that was just it. Like I couldn't go on oh after gosh. that. And yeah. the rehab um, and everything, it just got too much for me. And so I had to call it a day. The doctors actually told me, mm. I said to them, I can't do it myself. Like I can't actually say I'm done myself. I, you'll have to say it for me. Yeah. So they sat me down and they were like, this is it. You can't. You need to go and get it better. You need to get your life back on track because I was spiralling as well. I was spiralling out of control my life. Yeah. I was a zombie, you know. I was just a, mm. a real um, shell of a human by that point. And I think just everything, it was, I I just wasn't myself. I was so removed from my family, mm. my life. And um, mm. so, yeah. Mental health. You've talked about yeah. mental health struggles during I was that very time. dark. I didn't get out of bed unless I had to go to training or rehab. Like I, I literally just stayed in bed. Um. What got you there? What just what put you to that low? Just the just the injuries, not being able to perform, letting everybody down, like being in so much pain. Feeling like um, I was in so much pain, like even just walking around, my knee was just absolutely horrendous. Um, mm. yeah, like I said, it was miserable. So fifteen surgeries on yeah. that knee, on yep, one knee, yep. and my hips were pretty bad. Fifteen too. surgeries. Yep. There was a lot of stuff happening. My body was pretty much shot like it was, it was well and truly good. done so yeah. um yeah yeah so calling it a day was probably it was the best thing that I ever did um within sort of two months I'd had a half knee replacement and and then I got off everything um I said to mum I need you to come to Albury and um, I'm going to just get off everything and stay off it and so I is that just pain, yeah, meds, pain meds and everything? Antidepressants. That's what we mean. Everything. Just wanted to <clears throat> a, clean, yeah. a clean start. Um, so mm. I did that. That took about two weeks to sort of go through, like just the shakes and the shivers and everything that I was going through. Um, and then I came out and look, any opportunity that um, came up after that, I took it in terms of work and like upskilling and everything. And um, mm. Yeah, I just, that was it. I mean, that my life got back on track pretty quickly as soon as I sort of changed my mindset and was like, right, this is a new lease, new start. And mm. here I am today. And you, did you miss it at all or no. you were your country girl at heart? And I didn't miss yeah. it. I mean, I had dreams about competing um, and playing basketball and, I, I mean, I still have it's so funny, but even before this start, I was still having <laughs> dreams about playing for Australia. So the fact that I wow. have, it's so crazy. <laughs> and I'm happy as well. Like it's just so weird. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah. It was a really rough sort of two or three years and I'm lucky I survived it, like in all honesty. I really am. And looking back, yeah. and I, I say this to people now and I don't think they truly appreciate what I mean, but 
the fact that I got through it all, you know, and I survived mm. it, I, I'm so strong, mm. you know. Um, yeah. And then just to be who I am today, it's like it's the greatest gift. So. Mm. And then you have LJ, the basketballer 2.0. <laughs> Yeah, which two point five, two point five. <laughs> um, you're known as the goat. How does that sit with you? I, I mean, I don't know about that, but um, I'll take it. But I don't know about it. Um, yeah, I think there's yeah. been so many great basketballers, <laughs> and there's going to be so many great basketballers in the future, as we saw at the World Cup. I think Brianna Stewart and Asia Wilson and. Those girls, mm. you know, they're just incredibly talented and, you know, we've all seen Diana Taurasi and Sue Bird. Like there's, we've been, there's been so many great female basketballers and I'm so lucky to be even just mentioned alongside them. But I think um, there's, there's a couple of goats, I reckon. <laughs> You're still the goat. So two, two times WNBA champ, three times WNBA yeah. MVP, seven times WNBA All-Star, your number was retired by the Seattle Storm. That's where you played your whole career in the WNBA, where you were the number one draft Mm -hmm. pick back in the day as well, four-time Olympian, flag bearer, Hall of Famer. What has been the highlight of your whole career given all that? I reckon this last couple of weeks has been my highlight. I truly believe that. And regardless of the last game, I would still say the same thing. It was the journey getting back. It was the relationships and the new friendships that I've created with those girls, um, that is something that's so incredibly special to me. Um, Mm. It was being able to compete in front of Australia. You know, every the reception Mm. that we got, that I got, was just people only dream about Mm. that stuff, you know. Um, But it was a journey. My kids were there. They got to see me play every single game. You know, they're still, every day, they're still like, oh, pulls. You know, they love it. Um, Did they get a sense of who mum was before they came around? I don't know, but apparently Harry was, like, sitting up there saying, please put mummy back in, like. (laughs) (laughs) You and the rest of Australia, Harry, you and the rest of Australia. It's just so funny to me that they were getting so involved in it and just loving it so much. Um, Yeah. But, yeah, like, I'd have to say this, this journey has definitely um just also too because of my headspace and and the Mm. perspective that I have now which I did not have when I was a youngster yeah yeah and certainly towards the end of your career as well with that with having to do all of that like sleep is something that you don't get as a mom but sleep is something that you really need as a player and especially as an elite athlete how did you handle that, not getting that sleep and being able to get up and perform? Well, I I think like a lot of new mums, um, you have to kind of juggle what's best, like what works best for you. Mm. And um, I really focused on trying to get the kids to sleep in their own rooms from a young age. That mm. made it worse. Hmm. That made it worse because the kids would be up at all times of the night trying to get into my bed. Um, mm. And it got to the point where I was like, right, okay, I'm, I'm going to let them sleep in my room. And mm. when I actually just sort of gave in and said, yep, you can sleep in my room um, because it also means I'm turning the television off at a respectable hour, like we're mm. all going to bed together early, 
they have been mm. sleeping through the night and giving me the opportunity to get mm. like 10 hours of sleep per night, yeah. which is yeah, probably the best thing that I did when I started to prioritize my sleep routine. Um, that was, yeah, yeah, just incredible for me. Mm. And then, you know, when we were at the World Cup, uh, we had 8.30 p.m. games. So, you know, for so the mum in me that's going to bed at 7.30 with my <laughs> so kids, um, yeah. getting to bed at 12 o'clock and then, you know, my internal alarm clock goes off at 5.45 yeah. every morning. It was it was yeah. brutal. Um, but sleep has yeah. been so important in my recovery, particular, like particularly this last couple of months because of the travel, because of the games and everything. Mm. And and prioritizing that has been such an important part of my um, just my general well being and recovery. So yeah, mm. I'm I'm a big advocate for sleep. Have you struggled with sleep as a professional athlete before? I did. I really did. Um, just being in different time zones, I think too, because you're for me, and I've spoken about you know my history with um, injuries and prescription medication and things like that. You're often in cycles mm. where you do have to take sleeping pills to get to sleep, you you know, um, mm. and then you're sort of traveling so much, you're in hotel rooms, you're, um, you know, often it's going to bed at midnight or after midnight because you've got late games mm. and things like that. So during my career, I really had a poor sleep routine and I, I really struggled mm. um, with my mental health as well because I wasn't getting the sleep and the recovery that I needed. Mm. Um, and mm. it wasn't until I became a mum and I was like, this, I really actually need to focus on this so that I am mm. the best version of myself for them. And um, mm. that's pretty much what has been the main emphasis of my, you know, my life post-basketball and then back into mm. basketball was just making mm. sure that everything I do is going to make me a better mum. And so you you got external help for sleep? Yeah. I have. Um, so I did the um, ResMed online sleep assessment and um, since then I've been working with the ResMed sleep coach, which um, they've been really awesome in just giving me tips and um, tricks basically to get to sleep early. And a lot of the stuff is just basic stuff, but to hear it and to have those conversations is really, really helped me, especially with my kids and stuff. You know now you're strong. You've always been strong, LJ, but is it like a different kind of knowledge of strength now that you have? Um, I, it hasn't changed. I mean, I think, like I said, after like reflecting on my career and everything that I went through, like physically, emotionally, you know, back then, I I know mm. that um, I'm a lot tougher than what I gave myself credit for. So I just, I feel, mm. um, I feel strong, you know, I feel like there's mm. not a lot that can rock me. Um but I guess unless it comes to my that. family, but like, yeah, I, I really, um, yeah, looking back on everything that I've been through, the one thing that comes to me is that, yep, yeah, you're so lucky to be here. You are who you are today because of what you've been through and you got through mm. it. You did it. So mm. you're here. It's a great yeah. message. You've seen incredible change in the women's game, but how do you feel about the progression of women's basketball in Australia and the WNBL, given its history and, and legacy? Look, I think that the WNBL is definitely on the rise again. We've just signed two great new partners. Um, Christy Collier Hill is running the league and she's an incredibly um, focused and um, very um, astute businesswoman and it's it's fun to watch and see where she's taking the league now, you know. Um, 
I'm really excited that I get to play okay. in it. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's, I think that we're, we've got a lot of exciting things coming up and it, um, you know, obviously AFLW and the rise of women's sport in Australia the last few years has been mm. incredible, but, you know, the WNBL is, is the WNBL alone. We don't have the support of, you know, men's sport um, pushing us, mm. you know. So it's what we've been able to achieve over 43 years or 43 seasons um it's incredible it's a long it time is. isn't and it's it though it's a massive legacy and i think like i said too the opals legacy also is reflective of the wnbl and the players sort of have represented mm. um the wnbl in australia so it's all sort of one community mm. and um it's so special to be a part of and i just can't wait to be a part of this season because i think that there's just going to be massive growth um and interest mm. as well because the WNBL was one of the first women's sports to get a broadcast deal nice. and we're, we're on television. Do you, the rate of change and progression off the back of that, and I know it's going great places, there's great things things happening, um, you know, moving forward from now, but up until this point, do you think possibly the league should have progressed further than what it has up until now? Look, the last... Given yeah. its history. Look, I think the last few years we've definitely sort of seen progression. Um, we got back, on, we were live streaming initially, but then we we got some great, mm. uh, we got a great broadcast deal mm. with Foxtel and now obviously with ESPN um, and mm. Nine Now, which is exciting. Um, but I, like I said, I think for a little while there, you know, when ABC dropped us um, a little while back, I think it was like 2000. Yeah. And, 2014. Yeah, it was yeah. 14. Yeah. That was that was really bad for the sport. That was yeah. Awful. And it, it was a yeah. pretty dark time, you know. Um, but we survived, you know, we got through it and mm. um have had to rebuild. And I think right now what you're seeing is um a real uh, it's turning around big time. So it's yeah. yeah, I think the hub season was a great season for the WNBL during COVID. What we were able to do up there was super special and having basketball on mm. TV every other night was incredible, mm. you know. Um, mm. So, yeah, it's going places, but ups and downs of basketball. So interesting. <laughs> Quite literally. Um 2014, it's so interesting that you mentioned that <clears throat> with the ABC because, um, you know, that was eight years ago. And I remember writing an article for my platform, Sportet, off the back of that when ABC dropped, because I think they dropped the um, the W League yeah, at the same time. Yeah. So, and then both these prominent women's sports didn't have broadcasters. And remember, there was a big campaign finally to get some attention and to to drive change with that. And I think the response I know that I got from those articles was really, you know, just showed me that we're not mad that there is an audience there that is yeah. passionate about that, and this was a bad decision and should never be made. So. Eight years ago, I remember in that same year, I wrote this article for Sportet about, and I asked key women in sport where they wanted their women's game for their sport in one year and in five years' time. And I wrote to you and I said, can I please get your response of where you want women's basketball in Australia in one year and then in five years' time? I'm going to read you your response to that. You said in 2015, my wish for women in basketball for 2015 is to see the WNBL picked up by another broadcaster so that we can continue to push forward for women's sports in general. Also for the WNBL so it can continue 
taking steps forward in making this one of the best leagues in the world so we can also continue attracting world-class players and keeping the majority of Australia's best players home. In 2020, you, your wish, my wish for five years for women's basketball in Australia is to have every stadium packed for every game, therefore more media behind women in sport. My biggest wish for me is to have everyone paid as professional athletes, not just some paid Some people paid a pair of shoes and a gym membership, a minimum salary that would see players 1 to 12 as a professional athlete for the length of the season. Knowing that, how do you reflect on where we are Well, we're getting there. Two years after that five-year plan. (laughs) Well, we put an effective (laughs) bargaining agreement two years ago, so there was a minimum salary, which is great, and that's going up every year. Um, I think that collective bargaining agreement is up for renewal in the next year or so, so that's exciting. Um, so conditions mm. can only keep getting better. Um, it's going to be interesting to see how those stadiums start filling out this year. That's all I'm going to say because I think they will. Yeah. After seeing that World Cup and yeah. being a part of it, I know that people want to see women's basketball. So, yeah, get behind the yeah. WNBL. Yeah. Yeah. I thought that was really interesting going, okay, well, where are we now from that five-year five year plan? And you know what? Two years of COVID, we're probably 2020 where we are now. So. Yeah. Fingers crossed we'll get yes. that. Um, part of the progression of women's sports, and I'm wondering as well, like for you to keep earning decent money, you played pretty much all year round. You mentioned playing in, in China and and Russia. What impacted that having to, to do that, not just play in the WNBA, WNBL, all over mm. the world? What impact? It meant you didn't really have time off each no, year. No, and it? it didn't. And I think that also contributed to my my physical health and, you know, the toll on my mental health as well. Um, I didn't take enough care of my body. When I was younger, I was just chasing dollars around the place. And, um, you know, had I have taken a couple of months here or there to, to really focus on rehabbing and getting strong and everything, I, you know, maybe my career would have lasted a little bit longer. Um, so, you know, but that, unfortunately, you know, we, that's a reality. We don't get paid enough just to play one season and then, um, and then just rehab and, and focus on our bodies. We have to, um, mm-hmm. and it's hard. Like when you're in season, it's really, really difficult to get in the gym and really um, smash out those sessions. And, I mean, even over the World Cup, mm. we might have got two or three sessions in a gym over a two-week period. And for mm. me, who needs to stay strong, it's it's hard, you know. Um, so looking back, I, I would have definitely prioritised that rehab period and that sort of downtime where I could just focus on being in the gym. Um, but that's, you know, it's all hindsight. I didn't know. And how mm. like from, right from when I was a kid, all I was ever going to be was a basketball player in my head. I didn't, I did not stop to think or listen to people telling me you need to get strong. You need to focus on mm. the other stuff as well. All I wanted to do was play, you know, I didn't, and being who I was as well, very headstrong, I was like, nope, I can do it, I can do it all. And I can get through anything because I was at that point too. I was mm. playing with stress fractures. I was doing whatever it took mm. to get out on the court and make some money. I was doing it. So mm. Far mm. out. You played in Russia. Okay. What was it like to play over there in oh, particular? Look, it was hard because, I mean, we were playing over there in the middle of winter, so it was freezing cold. Um, so cold. It was, it was so bizarre. It was a strange, strange time (laughs) in my life. Um, We, I mean, 
A lot of people know the stories. Uh, our owner was Shab Taib on Kalmanovic. He was a um, ex-KGB spy. He'd been jailed in Israel for espionage and, like, I think, I think it was espionage. I'm not sure. But he was in prison in Israel for a long time. Um, the man could speak, like, seven languages. He was just an incredibly mm. intelligent human being but had there was something very frightening about him. And he uh, mm. treated he treated us um, like we were his daughters. You know, he'd give us anything we wanted, mm-hmm. and it was a really strange time. But I felt like it came with a cost, and I'm not sure my teammates felt like that, but I certainly did. And mm. um, the toll that it took on me was was pretty rough, and to the point where I came back mm. to Australia after he was assassinated, and I went and studied. I went back to school and started gender studies because I just couldn't deal with the power dynamics and it's a totally different culture as well you know in eastern Europe to anywhere else in the world so the way that women are treated it's very different and um yeah and I've said before I will not talk about things that happened to me over there because he's got family members that are still alive who I really care about and um sure yeah yeah there's no point really but it changed your perspective. Changed my life. Yeah, coming back and actually getting back into university and studying and talking about it with my family and yeah, it was. It, it, I sort of had to grow up. I finally had to grow up at the end of that and really just take accountability for my behaviour and and my own um, the things that I probably needed to deal with. Yeah. Mm. How did it affect you when he was? assassinated of all things like he didn't just die of a heart attack it's like something quite brutal in that yeah well he was and so different from you know the world that we live in so different um look he was actually assassinated on the way to pick up teammates from his office some of my teammates from his office so um in the car that he was assassinated in, I'd sat in that seat many, 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 many times and just seeing the photos Mm. and the way that it ended was just absolutely horrific. And I remember knowing that it was a bulletproof car, you know, but there's like, oh, wow, okay, it's bulletproof. We already knew that. But apparently like there's this vulnerable, you know, piece in a window in a bulletproof car and it's like right through and all the bullet holes were through this vulnerable yeah it was so bizarre like nobody should have to think about that stuff but the man um he he was so good to me you know and um Mm. I you know like I have a lot of just different feelings I still have dreams about him too you know um Mm. but yeah I was glad I I got to know him and yeah he like I said he did treat Mm. me very well Mm. You played against Brittany Griner, who is over there at the moment, when you heard about, you know, her being kept um, in prison in in Russia at the moment, especially being in the World Cup where she should have been there playing for the US just recently. How did that affect you and how do you feel about that situation, you know, given your history with the country and knowing what happens over there? Yeah, I mean, it's frightening, you know. I Look, I don't know the ins and outs of what's going on but I think you know as an outsider I think um we you think about her every day you know and worry about her Mm. health and what she's going through um you know I I don't even know really what to say um Tracy Holmes Mm. actually asked me about this and I kind of was a bit like 
I, I really don't know what to say because I didn't know her personally. Um, I did play against her mm. once or twice, but um, mm. what she's going through, I can't imagine how horrible it is. Um, mm. And, yeah, hopefully she gets home soon to her family and the people that love her. But I know um, the WBA players um, are supporting her and, and, you know, obviously posting daily and, and the stuff that they're doing is incredible. Mm. But I think from us, like from people who are outsiders sort of watching this all unfold, it's, you know, it's devastating. You just want to get mm. her home. We talked to Sandy on the podcast about it as well. She's obviously coached Brittany and, and close to Brittany and and her wife as well. So, um, yeah, it was interesting to get Sandy's perspective on that. Um Saying, speaking of Sandy, um, she was yeah. your coach for the Opals, your good friend um, and former yeah. teammate as well. She she says that she still remembers what it was like watching that little 16-year-old LJ come into the yeah. Opals set up as a young teenager. What was it like for you making your Opals debut so Gosh, I can't even remember. I do remember the kindness of Sandy Brondello, though. I will never, ever forget that. She... Mm. Um, Sandy, because this is before the internet, before emails, before all of that stuff, and she um, took me under her wing. She would write letters, you know, phone calls just to make sure I was okay, just to check in. And she, um, Mm. yeah, she's always been just one of the kindest, most genuine people that that I know and Mm. I'll forever be thankful for her kindness because she really made it a lot easier for me, her and a couple of the other girls. So, um, yeah, Sandy is all those things. She's a friend. She was my coach. She's been a teammate and, and someone that I very, um, very, very deeply care about. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you really entered a golden era for the Opals. Like, yeah, we, we talked about it before being described as a sisterhood, but what was it, you know, with Michelle Timms and Sandy Brondello and what was it that made that culture so strong? I think, um, you know, the, the team that I walked into, there wasn't actually just one superstar. You know, there was a group of players that were willing just to compete and play for each other and play to medal and um, and just do anything that they could to win. Um, so the culture mm. itself, I would say Tom Mark brought that in. Um, he he was a tough coach. You know, he was, he was so tough. Mm. I don't even think there's coaches that are that tough. These days I don't think it's allowed, but he um, demanded, (laughs) you know, the very best effort defensively every single time. Like even to this day I remember him saying to me, shoot the ball straight, like not saying it, he would yell it at me, but I (laughs) yell it at myself still to this day on the court. Um, Mm. So a lot of the things that he said and did have intrinsically impacted um, the way that I am on the court. Um, but that mm. culture was built by this, um, no one's perfect, right, but he demanded, like, perfection. Even mm. though, you know, we might not be perfect, we strive for that. So defensively, mm. that's every single ball, uh, ball driving on, uh, sorry, diving on every single loose ball, um, mm. making every play count, you know, um, not making boneheaded mistakes, just this mm. was the stuff that was drilled, like drilled into us. And it's hard, mm. like it's a grind. Trainings, we would absolutely beat the shit out of each other. Just, And mm. as a 16-year-old stepping into a team like that, you know I copped it well and truly because I was just so skinny and so young. And he, um, yeah, he, he made it um, brutal. But I think he actually gave me 
without that coaching at that point in my life, I don't know if I would have turned out to be the person that I am today. So I think that culture was instilled by him for sure. Um, Mm. And then, you know, we got to ride it through the the 2000s. We got to really um, try and keep that legacy and push it through and, um, mm. I think we've got to try and get back to that a little bit. I mean, I know it's it's tough and it's dogged, mm. but I think, um, you know, that's just what it takes and especially with the level of the athletes that are coming through now and, and how good basketball is globally, there has to be mm. that um, emphasis on the little things and, and playing mm. hard every possession and training like you are training for a gold medal match. Like it's, mm. that's what it takes, you know. Mm. And there's none of that now? Oh, there or is. No, no, now, there or? is. I think we're definitely getting back to that. But I think that that toughness, um, look, I know there's a lot of talk about coaches and, and how um, it's changed. Like you can't talk to people yeah. the way that you used to talk to people and stuff. But And I mm. would never want to be a coach because I'm pretty sure everyone would hate me. Um <laughs> I doubt that. But um, <laughs> that that's the sort of um, I think that's what it takes, like to demand mm. the very, very best out of out of your athletes. And mm. like I said, I think the culture is changing. I truly believe that the on-court stuff, there's much more physical presence with the Opals and it is moving in the right direction. There's no doubt about it. Mm. But there has been an emphasis on revisiting the past and where the Opals have come mm. from. Yeah. So yeah. there is there is that which is really really good at the moment. Mm. And it sounds like you've got that that bond of old that you used to have and that culture of turning up for each yeah, other. For sure. No doubt. Sydney 2000 Olympics as a teenager. Like um, it's kind of nice, right? Like that was that was your first <laughs> Olympics was. at home and now you've finished your career in a World Cup at home as well. It's a nice way to bookend that. But what was it like as a teenager, you know, having a home Olympics and those kind of crowds and everything going for the Oprah? I think I took it for granted. Like as a 19-year-old and my only experiences as an elite athlete were, you know, we played a World Cup in Germany and then headed to Australia. Um, You know, there was a lot of resources brought into the sport. We had a lot of tournaments all around Australia. Like we were traveling to Griffith. We played games in Albury. Like it was just, it was awesome Mm. because I didn't have to travel anywhere. Yeah. So um, my, you know, entry into the Opals was pretty spectacular with Sydney Olympics coming up. Mm. Um, We had a lot of stuff happening locally, which was great. And yeah, like I think I took it for granted. Like I said, it's, you don't, uh, looking back, you don't understand the the sort of atmosphere and what it means to be in Olympic Games um, mm. when you're in it. It's not until you're out of it and you you're like, oh my god, did I actually do that? Was I actually a part of that? <laughs> um, yeah, it was pretty special. Can, can I ask you about the bodysuits? How do you? <laughs> if only we we got the cameras, we'll get that results. <laughs> That was it because you went from shorts to the the, the bodysuits that were like they were, um, yeah, they, they weren't too forgiving, weren't they? Like they showed oh, everything. Showed some everything. some women, some opals love them, but how did you, being like a tall woman as well, how did you oh, feel about the catsuits? I absolutely hated them. <laughs> I, I Look, I think 
Uh, I was wearing bloody G-strings with girdles and everything to try. Like, you shouldn't have to deal with that in sport. Um, I, oh I bloody hated them. And then when the girls tried to bring them back, well, brought them back for Tokyo, I was just like, why? 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 <laughs> like, there's, oh. like, young women don't want to wear bodysuits. Mm. I mean, maybe a couple do, but, no. like, come on now. No. Um, no. They no. just... I don't know. Look, Christy Harrell made a really good point was that like I think they were intimidating to um, opposition. I, people would always talk about them and everything, but they like seeing our bodies, seeing how strong and fit we were, for sure. Mm. But there was a lot of times I was not strong and fit and had to get into those damn body suits and I did not enjoy it for one minute. Um, no. They just, yeah. it was yeah. too much. And like when you have to focus on things like that when you're getting ready for a big tournament. Mm. It's not worth mm. it, you know. Yeah. Were you grew, when you grew up, did you have to wear, when I play basketball when I was, and we're the same age, and I grew up in the country as well, we had our basketball singlets tucked into our scungies. Oh, yeah, we scungies and we too. just wore, can you imagine now, like, having your kids going out? I know yeah. you've got boys, but I've got girls. I can't imagine them going out and playing basketball in essentially a pair of yeah, underpants. that's what our parents were wearing too. Like, my mum played for Australia and had to wear those. So... Um, you know, like it, honestly, I think just in terms of body image and trying to get people into the sport, I mean, that's a big one. You know, young girls don't want to be mm, wearing huge that barrier. stuff. Um, you yeah. know, and considering yeah. you, the things that we have to go through as women, like menstrual cycles, like everything else, it's too mm. much. Like let us just go and play and enjoy yeah. the sport. That's my opinion. I know a lot of Gosh, other Opals. not have to worry yeah, about that, another, hey? Like I yeah. know a lot of the other Opals really love them and everything, but for me I was just I was worrying about too much that I should not have had to worry about. Yeah, yeah. No, I hear you on, on that. A year after the Sydney Olympics, you were the first-round draft pick in the WNBA. That's like a huge honour. What was it like for you to, to be that first-round draft pick and then have to go move to the US? I was scared, you know, I was really scared. I think uh, that was like the first real, right, where well, you're leaving home, you're, you know, you've got to go overseas, you've got to go do this on your own. And, yeah, I was scared for sure. But, again, it was one of those things like everything in my career where I just put one foot in front of the other. I might not mm. have wanted to have done it in that moment, but as soon as I was over there I was living in the moment and just, trying to enjoy it as best I could. Mm. So, um, I, yeah, like I said, I was really scared. Um, I wasn't that excited <laughs> at that point in time. Mm. Um, but for me, when I get when I get on court, it sort of takes all that stuff fades away and it's just about basketball. Mm. It's a pretty big deal for an Aussie girl to be the first round draft picked, right, for yeah, WNBA. especially That's as massive. a baby too, Did- as a 19-year-old, yeah. Yeah. Did you have any idea about how big that no. was back no, then? No, I had no, no clue. Um, I mean, look, I didn't really know about college or anything like that or the system and how it all worked and everything. So when um, mm. when the draft and everything was happening, I just remember thinking um, I've got no idea what's going on here. I'll go over there. They wanted me to fly to New York and mm. I did. Mum came with me and um Again, it was just so overwhelming, you know, cameras, makeup, hair. It was like, what the hell is going on here? Um, <laughs> and then all the women that were drafted with me, they were a lot older. Um, some of the Aussies were, Penny was drafted in our year, but she came a little bit later and Kristen Veal as well. 
So, mm-hmm. yeah. you know, there was a few of us young ones, but I, I didn't realise that a lot of players came from college. Penny Taylor. Yeah, too. Penny Taylor, yeah. Because mm. um, did you used to get homesick, yeah. quite homesick when you were young? And, and like I find that extraordinary given that everything that you did in your <laughs> career and from an early age having to travel with the Opals and then, you know, go over to the US and live in the US as a a 19-year-old with a lot of pressure on your shoulders being the number one draft pick, you know, how did, what kind of, where did that stem from, that homesickness? It was something that you always Always had it, suffered. Um, I remember I got picked on a Riverina team to play like in a state state championship or something um, for school when I was a real young, when I was in primary school. And we got billeted out and honestly I did not stop crying for a whole week um, without my mum. I just, oh, I couldn't do it. I had real um, anxiety around leaving home. And then when mm. we'd go away on Australian trips, junior trips, I'd cry on the plane the entire way over there. But, like, I don't think they realised what they got until they got me. And then and then the fact that I was actually able to go and play after, like I'd go through these real emotional bloody, you know, I'd be crying mm. for 24 hours and then I'd be able to go and knock down 20 points. Like it's just who <laughs> I was or who I am. Like I've always been like that. Yeah. So, yeah, so, different animal on court than yeah, off court. Yeah, I've been able to compartmentalise right. pretty well. I mean, obviously I'm not like mm. that anymore. It's a bit different now being a much more mature mm. um, human, but I, I was quite irrational and, um, yeah, I was definitely a mummy's girl. So I had to grow up pretty quickly. Um, mm. And I think once I got in the Opals program, it got a lot easier for me because um, the older women were a lot more caring, like took me under their wings. I had Marion Stewart yeah. who was a, an incredible um, manager of our team and she uh, she's to this mm. day is one of my closest friends. Um, there was a lot of people that really tried to make it um, good for me and they did. Like they, they were awesome, you know. Mm. Was there a lot of expectations on you as a kid and being as tall as you were um, as a kid to be good at basketball considering like your parents both played for Australia, right? Yeah, my, both my parents played for Australia. Look, my brother's six eight or six nine, and he just hates sport, hates it. You know, he was in love with trains, yeah. so that was his route. He went and worked <laughs> cool. on the railways and has been on the railways ever since. Um there was like from my parents, no, there was no pressure. I mean, there was one time um, something happened in a tournament and I didn't want to play. My knee was hurting. wasn't really hurting. I was just over it. And mum and dad sort of sat mm. me down after it and said, you don't have to play. Like we'll love you regardless, It's mm. but you can't let your teammates down like that, you know. And yeah. I said to them straight after that, I was like, no, I want to play. I love this sport. I mm. This is because I didn't want to be anything else. All I wanted to do was be the first woman in the NBA. Like I just wanted to play basketball. So and they let me. First woman playing in the NBA, not the W, because it wouldn't have started back. Yeah, the NBA. So I had, and my mum and dad never said, no, you couldn't be. You were going to be there with Jordan and Dennis Rodman and and Luke Longley. It's like, yeah, why not? They never said, no, you couldn't be. You know, they always sort of let me just go along with it. And, um, but I think it was when I did let my teammates down or, you know, I did something that mm. hurt another person or whatever, that would always be like, that's not good enough. You can't be a teammate, mm. can't be a good teammate if you, you know. So no, there wasn't expectation from them. I did miss out on a lot of teams, um, as a junior, as a youngster. Um, why, how? Just because I wasn't good enough. <laughs> 
but I still kept going. And I think that again, it's part of like my story was, especially as a kid, it didn't phase me. I'm the sort of kid that was like, right, well, okay. So I missed out on that one. Mum and I'd have a chat and then we'd be back training the next day. It just, that's who I was and that's sort of how I've grown up to be. And I hope my kids um, are the same. Like I hope they sort of have that attitude, you know, that nothing's impossible, Mm. even if you do come across barriers and, yeah. Mm. Um, I would love to be tall. (laughs) I would love, 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 love to be tall. I'm only 165 centimetres. But what was it like for a kid being so tall? It was brutal. (laughs) How tall were you from early age? It was brutal. Um, Uh, Because I was very, I was six foot two at 12, you know, um, and I was very skinny. Yeah, I was um, super skinny. Um, Mm. So it was awkward. You know, I was an awkward um, kid, there's no doubt. But, again, I think I was so um, entrenched in basketball that, you know, school was rough for sure. And I'm pretty sure that I projected and I was rough on other people as well like I just I think I got a bit Mm. of a chip on my shoulder pretty early just because I got (laughs) there was a lot of names tossed Mm. around let me tell you um it wasn't fun yeah high school Mm. was not fun for me here in Albury but when I left Albury and when I went to the AIS I just remember walking in there and going oh my god I'm around people like me they're all tall they're all strong they're all yeah I can wear tracksuit pants everywhere like life is amazing (laughs) I did not have to wear a uniform to school which best thing ever yeah so yeah yeah yeah. well because I was so ill-fitting so ill-fitting and I just wasn't comfortable Mm. in dresses and I'm an athlete you know like when you're around other athletes Mm. you feel like and nobody knew me at school as an athlete too because my parents had pulled me out of school sport because I was struggling and I was oh. really not an academic and my grades were really poor and, um, you know, I was skipping school and doing all the things kids should not be doing. And um, so oh. they pulled me out of school sport. And so I no one knew me as an athlete until year 10 right. when um, I'd made this strange junior team, like outside of school, <laughs> and the school came knocking on the door <laughs> and said, look, just let her play in the state competition. So dad was like, okay, Please. we'll let her go. So we won that and then we won nationals with the school and everyone was like, oh, Lauren, yeah, we'll be nice to her now. But it yeah. was, yeah. yeah, it was rough. Yeah, that's so interesting because, you know, sport often for a lot of people becomes a bit of a, a social a social ticket, right, a social yeah. card that you can swipe as well and, and helps in that sense. But your grades were slipping, so you didn't have that opportunity. Yeah. I think my parents. But then everyone loved you. No, I think my parents would have changed it now looking back um, had they, because I, I ended up failing year 12 miserably anyway, and um, I still went to mm. university and got my degree and then did postgraduate work as well. So that was a lot later. But for me personally, mm. I couldn't, I, like it as a kid, I just wanted to be on a basketball court. So I think looking back, I think mum and dad probably would have done things a little bit differently. But um, mm. and also too, though, you know, in year seven, right before they pulled me out of school sport, I'd missed out on teams. I'd missed out on the Riverina team, you know, and I think they mm. didn't want me to get hurt anymore as well. So that, that I think there's this element of like trying to protect me but trying yeah. to, you know. Yeah. And we all get that because we've got kids. Motherhood yeah. and parenthood is just Yeah, like- it's a minefield. <laughs> It is a minefield. It is an absolute minefield. You don't want to damage them, but you want to do yeah. the right thing. You want to be tough, but you don't too want tough. to be horrible, too tough. Oh, it it's is, a drama. It um, well, we finish off every, it feels weird because I've done this 
in the exact opposite order that I usually do my podcast. So it feels strange to finish as a kid, but kind of fitting as well, because the last question I do ask everyone is if you could go back and speak to that 10-year-old LJ, what advice would you give her? What would you tell her? Ah, oh, that's a good question. Um, I think because I was so worked up my whole life about stuff that I couldn't control, you know, and obviously now I've done a lot of work on myself and had to sort of work through a lot of these issues and everything. I think the bit of advice I would give myself is to breathe, like take time, just work through mm. it. Like you don't need to, you don't need to go nuts in your head and go crazy. And um, mm. right before the World Cup, I, cause I started getting really anxious again, um, just in the lead up because it was, you know, my kids weren't around. I was sort of getting caught up mm. in the media and everything was happening. And I went and got a tattoo because <laughs> I was writing on yeah. my arm, just breathe for games. So I went and got the tattoo. I thought, no, yeah. I'll, I'll get a tattoo because it looks better and it's not me writing breathe on my, my arm every day. Can I yep. see it? So it's like right. So you would write that. Yeah. Can you see it? Oh, wow. Breathe. breathe. Yeah, that. so that's sort of... Yeah. Um, I would say that. And I say it because my eldest son, my five-year-old, is exactly the same as me. Like stuff happens and I'm like mm. I'm looking at myself as a kid, you know, and mm. the way he responds and he gets really worked up and and um, I talk to him about it now. Like when I'm trying to settle him down, I yeah. talk to him about breathing and like how to try and calm yeah. down and stuff because he has a gag reflex as well. So whenever he coughs, he vomits and he coughs whenever he gets right. upset. So it's like... I sure. need to settle you down. Yeah. So we've been working through this breathing stuff with him and he um Yeah, yeah. And it's yeah, I think yeah, I'm just I'm really that's my thing at the moment breathing. So yeah, I would tell myself yeah. to to just breathe. I love that. Well, LJ, <laughs> I've loved watching your comeback. I didn't think I'd get the chance to see it, but it's been really something been. to um to be able to witness and to be able to enjoy seeing that, you know, you are the goat and our greatest ever and really complete that fairy tale. Um, yeah, we don't, we don't care what you think. We, you, we will name you the goat. That's all. <laughs> but, um, but well done on an incredible career, an incredible comeback. Yeah, I'm holding on to that hope that you're still dreaming. Maybe <sighs> what happens if I'm still. The what if, the what if, yeah. The what if, but, um, but no matter what happens, you've, yeah, you finished on a high and, and it's been great to see us all be able to enjoy that with you as well. Yeah. So thank you so much for your comeback. Thank you so much for changing the game for women's basketball, which you'll continue to do in your position with Basketball yeah. Australia and, and for women in sport in general. And thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing your story with On Her Game. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure. On Her Game was presented by me, Sam Squires, producer, Lindsay Green, audio producer, Nikki Sitch, executive producer, Jennifer Goggins.